0: Hi mate, welcome to Indie Spunk. This is the place where emerging filmmakers can roll up their sleeves, get strategic, and create career-changing work from script to screen. Hosted by yours truly, Izzy Stevens. I'm an actor, award-winning indie filmmaker, coach, and an Aussie in LA. And here, you'll uncover your road ahead so you can get more stories funded, filmed, and celebrated. From building connections, pitching, crowdfunding, festivals, publicity, and creative entrepreneurship, of course, with a healthy dose of industry special guests, we talk about it all. And I get pretty honest about my experiences in the industry too. The good, the bad, and the ugly. (laughs) So if that sounds like your jam, I'm really glad you're here. Let's dive in. Welcome to episode one of Indie Spunk with Izzy Stevens. It's me, I'm here, and you're here, and I'm thrilled about that. It's sort of weird sitting in this sound booth right now, and I have to be completely honest with you. This is the third time I have tried to record this episode. Um, When I thought about doing a podcast, and I have wanted to do this for a few years. When I thought about doing this particular podcast, I was so excited because there's nothing I love more than talking about the filmmaking process, talking about building a career in the industry, talking about creativity and you know filmmaking and acting and everything along these lines. And... Yet, of course, it didn't really occur to me that I would have to sit in this dark room and talk about myself, um, which isn't really something I love to do. But in order for me to talk about vulnerability in this industry, I also have to be vulnerable. So this is me being a little bit vulnerable right now. When I sat down to outline this episode, this story kept popping up into my mind. And it's something that I always come back to when I when I want to remember the confidence and the energy that i used to have when i was a kid i think we all have this kind of aliveness that you know gets dulled and eroded over time um, by life and i feel like we're always on a journey back to that person that was 100 percent themselves so when i was a kid I was about four years old um They tried to expel me from preschool because I apparently tried to direct the whole playground in the massive Titanic death scene where like the ship has hit the iceberg, everyone's screaming and crying and falling off the ship into the water. And I was trying to I had seen the movie quite young, obviously too young, and I had I was trying to get everyone to act out this intense scene And the teachers were, like, completely alarmed, and they also, you know, had other stories of me being very bossy and, you know, basically telling everyone what to do, sort of the the first sort of inclination I had, I guess, of storytelling or wanting to sort of lead the the charge in telling a story collectively. And they pulled my parents in. They actually called my parents in and sat them down and and said, look, you know, we want to expel her. She's, you know, she's really hard to, to deal with. Um... And my parents who, (laughs) my gosh, these incredible patient humans, they were actually going through a divorce at the time, my mum and dad. And I think that this was like the only thing they agreed on at the time. They stood up and laughed themselves out of the office and just went, yeah, right, you can (laughs) deal with it. And, you know, you'd probably never bring a boy's parents in for this, the same thing, you know. I guess that's my first memory I have of feeling excited to take charge. And I also, I mean, I knew I was going to be someone who ran my own business one day I was always very entrepreneurial I would start these like little businesses as a kid I tried to start a family newsletter and like charge everyone a dollar for news that they already knew and everyone was like okay sure here's a dollar <laughs> writing up this like terrible you know word document with my two finger typing you know Isabella does ballet Joshua does soccer <laughs> pretty pretty bad news but um but I always wanted to create things and I wanted to get them out there. And I had an entrepreneurial spirit and I really liked to feel a sense of leadership and running a team. And I always think back to that little girl when I feel a little bit nervous about something that I'm going, you know, going for in my life. This confidence, this, you know, certainty about it. Um, and, you know, hopefully I'm a little bit less of a terror and a little bit less of a bossy gal. <laughs> hopefully learn better leadership skills. But that was sort of the the first time I remember telling a story or wanting to tell a story with a group of people. So sitting down to think about how I got here as a 29-year-old You know, business owner, entrepreneur, filmmaker, actor. I've been working on film and television sets for the past 10 years. And through all of this time, I never really planned what I was doing ahead of me. I feel like I'm only starting to get into the zone of like planning years ahead or thinking about, you know, what's your, what's your five-year plan? I've never did that. I was always just sort of listening to a voice inside me that wasn't always logical, but I would just act on it and move forward. And I, I've sort of always been someone who, when I know what I want, I will stop at nothing to get it. I will work really hard. And I've been like that ever since I was a kid. I was a ballerina when I was a child. And by 10 and 11 years old, I think I was doing like four or five classes a week. And so when it came time to have a conversation about high school, there was basically one option that was available to me. It was uh, to attend the Catholic school that we could afford to go to. And I saw that as this like looming dark hole in front of me. I really didn't want to go to that school. I don't know why. I just knew that it wasn't for me. And my jazz teacher at the time had said, Isabella, you should you should try and audition for this um This performing arts high school. And if you're in the US, we actually don't have middle school in high school. So it just goes straight from primary school up to year six, and then you move into high school in year seven. And so this is when we were having this conversation. Where's she gonna go for the next seven years in high school? Or six years? I just had to count on my finger. Six years. (laughs) Six years of high school. And when I found out that the school would allow me to do three hours of performing arts a day, I was like, this is where I want to go. This is the only place I want to go. I have to figure out how to get there. The school was incredibly expensive and we did not have the money to cover it. And so I remember at the time thinking, I have to get a scholarship. I have to figure out how to get myself into this school. So I auditioned. I was really lucky that I got a scholarship for ballet. And I remember researching, because the school wasn't close to where I lived with my mom. it was quite a trip on public transport. And I remember searching it all on the computer and coming up with the plan of, I would have to take these two buses and then a train. And, you know, I changed trains at this train station. And it would take me, you know, 55 minutes if I'm really on top of myself, right, every day. And so I remember presenting this information and saying, this is what what we can do. I know no one can drive me to school. So along with the scholarship and the plan that I have to get there, how can we make this work? I really want to go. I really, 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 really want to go. And it was only a partial scholarship, so it didn't cover the whole thing. We still had to have a conversation around how we were actually going to make this work. But I was so dead set on going. And I just remember that, that part of me that was like there's no other option and I think that that's something that has carried me through my career when I started to fall in love with things like acting and filmmaking I realized that I had my heart and my eyes fully set on it and I'm gonna do what I need to do to get there and so that's how I ended up in this performing arts school. And now a couple of years later, I realized that I didn't have a ballerina sensibility. I was a bit of a an outspoken, rebellious kid, and I was very experimental. And I always hung out with the kids older than me. And so I definitely wasn't the right fit. I wasn't like quiet and demure and poised and disciplined at all, like the other ballerinas that I was, you know, in my classes with. And I always wanted to hang out with the theater kids. So I remember thinking, I really want to do acting. I know that this is what I want to do I love storytelling and so I petitioned again I want to I want to change streams to the acting stream a couple years later I was in a play in high school and a great mentor of mine and and a a great friend still to this day very talented actor and director Yuri Kovic he cast me as the lead in this play a flea in her ear if you haven't heard of it it's hilarious it's a French farce I played Laura it was really fun at the end an agent came up to me and said I loved it I really would love to represent you. Would you consider coming on board with us and we can send you on some auditions and just get you out there. And I said, great, that sounds cool. I I love that idea. You know, at the time, again, I was I was pretty like, you know, spunky, rebellious kid. I had, you know, just cut all of my long blonde hair off into a pixie cut. It was white. I was in a band. I really was experimental and uh, expressive, and I loved to paint, and I loved rock and roll music, and especially rock and roll music from the 60s, 70s. I was... I definitely had a lot of personality and I wasn't afraid of who I was or I wasn't afraid of my voice. So a month after signing with this agent, I'm sent on an audition and the audition scene is my character having an argument with her mother. And as I've mentioned a couple times, I was definitely like used to having arguments with my mom because I was a bit of a rebellious kid. I like to push boundaries and break the rules. And so I was like, piece of cake, I know how to do this. So I just felt like so myself in that moment. And then of course- as happens, you know, I didn't have a lot of stake in whether or not I was going to get it because it didn't seem like a possibility to me. I was just like, OK, I'm just going to have fun in the room. And I found out that I booked the role. My life changed the second that I walked on set. I <laughs> a few things happened, I feel like, simultaneously. Number one, I absolutely fell in love and I knew this is the place that I want to be for the rest of my life. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what everyone's role is. I don't know who does what and why and what everyone is doing here, but I want to figure it out. I want to know exactly what's going on here. I love this. The cameras, the lights, the costumes. It was a period piece too. It was set in the 1940s. So I was in period clothing and I got to sit in the chair and have my hair and makeup done. And I mean, it was, it was amazing and i booked this series regular role on this show which meant that i was now juggling you know 3 days of filming with 2 days of school and trying to figure out how my studies were fitting into that and and yet that experience on set on underbelly really changed my life it was also the first time i remember feeling like i had to be quiet I did not wanna ruffle feathers. I suddenly had a lot of stake in what I was doing and where I was, and I didn't wanna ruin this, and I didn't wanna push the boundaries or ruffle feathers. I wanted to be quiet, pay attention, not speak up, and just do as I was told. So from that moment, a lot really changed for me in terms of my confidence, funnily enough. You'd think that I would be more confident because I was on a television show, but I got really quiet. A lot of the voices in my head of, you know, people pleasing and, oh, don't ruffle feathers, and you really love this, you really care about this, like, make sure that you're quiet and that no one has an excuse to question why you're here. I didn't want to ask too many questions, I didn't want to be too loud, and I was also surrounded by adults, that were working and I was the youngest person on that set. The subject matter was violent and sexual and it was so cool. But I was also, you know, just paying a lot of attention and watching. I really wanted to be a fly on the wall. I loved watching the crew set up and pack down. I loved seeing the sets come to life. I really loved watching the director speak with the other actors and and the producer and the director discuss things. I would try and eavesdrop as much as possible because I wanted to understand what was going on. But I definitely feel like over the last decade, it's been a process of unlearning that be quiet and don't ruffle feathers voice in me and I think a lot of us deal with that. I am I wonder if you do as well. It's so tough and I still have to learn this in my life. So I was lucky enough to go from underbelly onto another television show called Puberty Blues which was also a huge smash hit when it came out and it's funnily enough still something that people ask me about today. I think that it's stood the test of time because it's so resonant and relatable and it was also based on a novel and a film that came out in the 70s and I felt really lucky to be a part of it. I felt like I was on this success path at that moment of my life that there was this sort of trajectory that I was on that I didn't need to worry too much. Like it was gonna happen and it was happening and maybe I didn't need to audition so much anymore, (laughs) ha, jokes on me. And off the back of that show, I actually landed an incredible US manager, a team of people that were excited about me and that wanted to bring me out for pilot season. And I really felt this exciting momentum. So when I was 19 years old, I took my first solo trip to Los Angeles for pilot season and it was incredible and it was so isolating and it was such a disappointment because I got super close to some incredible opportunities that just didn't happen including one situation where I actually walked into an audition room thinking that I was doing a pre-read for Pitch Perfect 3 and (laughs) Elizabeth Banks was in the room and I have to tell you I was so not prepared for that audition I had to sing a song I was so nervous Oh, oh my gosh Poor Lil is, I'm pretty sure I bolted like halfway through my song and i came home feeling kind of deflated and back in australia casting directors didn't want to see me for roles they thought they knew who i was because they'd seen me play two different roles on the screen and you know whatever they were casting seemed not to be a fit for me and i remember thinking come on i can do this i i have range we i feel like we all think this is artists like don't you know don't put me in a box don't pigeonhole me i can do things for the following few years after puberty blues and after that pilot season I went through a pretty tough time getting another job. And what I found was that people thought they knew who I was because of who I was on the screen and the kinds of roles that I had played. And And I feel like most of the roles that they were casting for my age range were the, you know, beautiful Australian girl. And I was I was a little different. I didn't really look like your typical Australian beauty. And I was getting all of these messages from my team and my reps that I needed to, be a little bit more Hollywood (laughs) right so you know try and be a little prettier in your tapes and you know maybe we should think about dyeing your hair and Over the next few years, I lost a lot of weight and I really feel like I was so focused on my image. It was all very concerned about the external, which took me away from the art and the soul of why I was there in the first place, which, of course, I didn't really understand at the time. I just remember doing auditions and thinking, oh, no, I hope my hair looks okay," And oh, no, should I not smile too much? And I I started to stiffen up rather than thinking about what was the scene and what am I, you know. What's the truth in this moment? What's the truth in this character? I was minimizing myself. So I was going through this period of remaking myself, I guess, and simultaneously I couldn't get out of my mind how much I loved being on set around the crew and the team and the cameras and the lights and the costumes and the sets. And I loved looking at directors work. I loved watching them work and seeing their curiosity and seeing their passion. And I felt so aligned with it. I so deeply resonated with how they were and how they acted on set. And I wanted that for myself. So that's when I decided, you know what, if no one's looking at me for these roles, if I'm not right for them or they think that they know me and whatever's going on that's out of my control, that is going to drive me absolutely bonkers if I (laughs) focus on it. I knew that I didn't want to be a victim or at the mercy of other people's choices. So I enrolled in film school. I did a one year program that was all practical. In fact, they didn't let us touch a digital camera for the first six months we only shot on film we were cutting film too it was very cool and then six months in we got to start shooting on digital and I think over the course of a year I made like 15 I was a part of making 15 films and by the end I got to make my thesis and that was the first thing that I ever directed myself and so I use this all the time in coaching you know when you make pancakes and the first pancake that you pour into the pan it's usually like kind of a dud. It's maybe it like gets a bit fucked up or it gets messy or it doesn't quite, it like burns on the bottom or whatever it is. Like something wrong always with the first pancake and you kind of just have to make the first pancake so that you can get rid of it or like eat it covered in syrup over the sink as the other ones cook. And the rest of them come out perfectly but that first one is a little bit of a disaster. That's how I feel like filmmaking is. You really need to get those first few pancakes out of the way so you can start making the work that you know you were. Born to make, and that you know our perfectionist mind says you must make first, but it doesn't happen that way. And I definitely made my very first pancake in that situation. It was an absurd Lynchian. I was obsessed with Lynch at the time. Allegorical dramedy about a woman that has a triangle for a head and she's trying to fit in with the rest of the women in the town and it's set in the 50s and it was very ambitious and we shot it in a studio and it is a whole episode for another day and I'm excited to tell you the story of making that film because it was quite a whirlwind and there's a lot of juicy stuff in there but I hadn't felt so myself in years. I remember being on that set directing that film Oh, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. I felt like I was back to that little girl self. And there was so much for me to learn, but I knew that this felt right. And from then on, I vowed to myself that I would continue to make films and I would continue to make work for myself and make work for the people that were around me that weren't getting the opportunities I knew they deserved. I knew I wanted to build myself a name in this industry, not just as an actor, but as a filmmaker, as a director, as an entrepreneur. And I felt really free to be myself. I felt like I could return to that alive young woman that didn't need to be contained, that didn't need to look a certain way or be a certain way. I still battled, of course, we all do. And at Of course, I still battle with this because we're so worried about getting validated in this industry that we can forget ourselves and that we can separate from ourselves. And filmmaking for me was this act of coming back to myself and telling a story that I wanted to tell in the way that I wanted to tell it. As liberated as I felt after making that film, something in me felt really shy to share it. So it premiered at our film school festival. And it played in a cinema and it was the first time I'd ever seen something of mine play in a cinema. It was exhilarating and exciting and I was proud of it, but something in me felt scared to share it. I didn't really know what my path forward was going to be. I didn't know what my next step should be, if I should submit it anywhere. I didn't think it was good enough to submit. I had a whole host of limiting beliefs and and like mindset hurdles to go through and stuff that I still deal with now. So I sat on it. I actually didn't share it. It wasn't until years later that I actually got up the nerve to share the film. And I'm really excited to tell you that story because it was a huge lesson for me in terms of my confidence and how my fear was really keeping me small. Looking back on these experiences and lessons that I learned, I realized that all I was doing was constantly failing upwards. I was constantly just showing up, falling flat on my face, getting up and trying again. Sometimes it took me a while to do that, I will say. It wasn't just like, pick myself up and go straight away. This is a key value that we have at Indie Spunk. It is so important that you don't let that one time someone rejected you, or a thousand if you're an actor, <laughs> or that one piece of feedback that you got which didn't resonate and felt like, oh my gosh, they completely missed the point with the feedback they gave me stop you from moving forward on the thing you know in your gut deep down even if it's illogical you know that it's something that you need to do i want to leave you with that i'm excited to tell you the rest of this story in part two i'm going to get all into the details on it and how exactly i became a mentor to all of these emerging filmmakers and actors that i am lucky enough to get to work with and support and coach i'm excited to tell you all of that we have so much to cover over the next many episodes but if you've got a calling in your gut a feeling inside that you know you want to make your own work or you know that that next one is the one or you want to try again or you want to do things a little bit differently next time. You're ready to invest and damn it all to hell if you fail because it's not about the failure or the success. It's about the journey, right? The steps that you take forward. It's about picking yourself up, saying hell yes to that lesson. Thank you so much. Wow, that was tough to learn. (laughs) I definitely have said that a fair few times. But here I am now. I'm doing it and so are you. And you have important, impactful stories to tell. So I want to congratulate you for being here. I'm thrilled to support you. Have a great rest of your day or night. Drink a glass of wine for me. And I will see you in the next episode. Bye. And that's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for trusting me as you grow that career up and up and up. And if you're curious about coaching, head to the link in my show notes. You can get info, apply, and grab a complimentary chat with me. I'd love to meet you. You can also snag a free copy of my Script to Screen roadmap. And of course, make sure you head over to the Indie Spunk IG for even more good shit. Stay spunky, and I'll see you soon.